Greg Rubel of Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We want to thank you for your interest in God's Word and this message. We pray that God puts it into your heart. Take a Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians 15 really is a, a joy to be with all of you uh, to celebrate the greatest victory in the history of the world. <clears throat> Have you been following along the uh, NCAA basketball tournament? You know, I filled out like six brackets, one every round, and I still can't get it right. <laughs> All this winning and losing, I just can't, can't keep track of it. There's a lot of winning and losing. You know, there's lots of good basketball that's going on right now. I mean, just some of the best you can watch. Um, and at the end of it, you know, there's a winner and there's a loser, right? A lot of winning and losing going on in the NCAA tournament. Uh, there's like 68 teams that are involved in it, and only one of them goes home a winner. So that means 67 other teams go home, and their fans suffer the agony of defeat. You know, that stinks. The good thing I know about losing, right, they say you can learn more from a loss than you can from a win. And I believe that's true, but but losing stinks. And if we're just talking about sports, you know, it's really no big deal. You know, a season comes, we work hard to win or lose, and then we season goes, and then we just sort of wait for the next season to come around and... You know, no, no big deal. We, we, we try again. But sport isn't the only place that winning and losing goes on. We experience winning and losing in our lives. And sometimes uh, every day we can feel like we're winning or losing. You know, when good things are happening, we feel like, well, we're on top of the world. We're winning today. Well, when bad things are happening, you know, it feels like we're losing. We're struggling. Whatever it might be, you know, a family having conflict or there's illness or there's a death in the family, you know, all of those things make life feel hard like, like you're losing. Um, at work, you know, your boss never sees, you know, the hard work that you put in and always giving somebody else recognition and better opportunities than you. Um, hard. It's, it's like you're not measuring up. You're not measuring up anywhere uh, at home, at work, at school, on social media. You know, it just looks like everybody else is winning and I can't seem to get out of bed today to do this. Because life is hard. And when life is hard, it feels like we're losing. And life is hard a lot. Well, today, as we celebrate this empty tomb, this great victory, we have this chance to draw near to Jesus as the victorious one. 
And so no matter how life is going like today, no matter if it feels like you're winning or losing, you can leave here a winner and sharing in the victory that Jesus has won for us. Now, I'll tell you, the victory doesn't have anything to do with sports, nothing to do with success or good health or good wealth. doesn't even really have to do with good days. But it has a lot to do with light in your life, with hope and peace and a future that's secure in Christ with God forever. So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 15, several passages in here, starting with verses 1 to 9 to help us draw near to Jesus as the victorious one. Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. For I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we do rejoice in the truths that we're singing about, that we're celebrating, that we're hearing from your word. Thank you for preserving for us your word. And we ask as we spend some time today focusing on it, that you would open our hearts, that you would plant this new life in our hearts that it would bear fruit in us even today. I, I thank you so much for the, for the time you and I got to spend together this week over this passage. And I pray that that would bear fruit in these lives, these hearts here today, Lord, that it would increase faith, that it would bring new life and victory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the first step we can take in drawing near to Jesus is to study the victory. So Paul begins there with a reminder to the Corinthians of the good news, the message that he preached to them, the message about Jesus that they welcomed and then they had confidence in. A message that he says would save them if they continued to believe, if their faith proved genuine, unless, of course, that message wasn't true in the first place. So verse 3 kind of recounts the message. What did Paul preach? He said, Jesus died for our sins, just like God said he would. Jesus rose from the grave three days later, just like God said. After that, there were hundreds of eyewitnesses that saw Jesus, his closest friends, a big group of his followers. Jesus appeared to them after he had died. Eyewitnesses that were still alive that you could go talk to and say, hey, did this really happen? And so you've got God's word telling you what was going to happen before it happened. And you had witnesses of God telling you that what happened actually did happen. Now, that's pretty good evidence. 
But even with all of that, you know, we can hear this message of a dead person rising back to life and we can think, is this, is this really true? Am I the victim of the greatest April Fool's joke in the history of the world? I mean, so many people, they woke up today to another day on the calendar. It doesn't have any meaning for them. And they would say it is just preposterous to think that somebody could die for the sins of the world. And it would be just ludicrous to believe that somebody who died came out of the grave three days later alive in a, in a glorious body. How can so many people be wrong? Is this really true? Well, Paul went on in verses 12 to 19. And he reveals to us that this resurrection debate isn't something new. It's not something just that we have to deal with. Listen to this. But tell me this. Since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless. And your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God. For we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless. And you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. So if this resurrection thing is impossible, then we've believed in nothing. I'm lying to you right now. Your faith is useless, and we should be pitied more than anyone else in the whole world because we've believed a lie. How do we know if it's all true? Study the victory. Study it. You know, the debate that goes on in your heart and your mind doesn't have to be settled by saying, I'm going to read this, I'm just going to believe it, I'm going to force my, I'm just going to just believe what's written here. No, 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 there is, there is good evidence, historical evidence. It would hold up in a court of law that Jesus rose from the grave. There's good reason to believe what we believe. Many of you are familiar with the name Lee Strobel. Um, he was an atheist, and he set out one time to prove that Easter was a big lie. So here's a testimony from Lee Strobel. He is risen indeed. So Lee, two, two years of his life uh, studying the data, and looking at all the biblical evidence, looking at historical evidence, looking at people outside the Bible, telling about history, telling about the disciples, how they all died believing that Jesus rose from the grave. And all of that helped him settle the debate in his mind that Jesus really did rise. When you hear, you can, uh, you can hear confidence. Uh, you know, in verse 20 of 1 Corinthians 15, I thought Lee Strobel could have written this. It says, but in fact... Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first fruit, first of a great harvest of all who have died. You can hear the confidence there. You can hear strength. You can hear encouragement in that statement. 
But in fact, Christ has risen from the grave. And you can get that from studying the victory. And it's in that confidence that we have then the desire to draw near to our Savior because he's a living Savior who beat death. Now the world's going to say we're foolish. They laugh at us you know, for gathering to worship each week because the tomb is empty every week. And as they laugh, as they mock, the Bible tells us otherwise. Reason tells us otherwise. History tells us otherwise. I encourage you to check out that book that Lee Strobel wrote, The Case for Miracles. It'll help you study the victory. It'll help you increase your confidence in what we believe. I don't, I don't get any commission uh, from you buying the book. So, you know, just, just my you know, encouragement to you. So the next step we've got to draw near to Jesus as the victorious one is to understand the victory. What did Jesus actually conquer? You know, when we're watching basketball, it's really easy to tell who the winner and the loser is. Scoreboard tells us really plainly, you know, the winner's got more points than the loser. But when you look at Jesus, do you know what he won? What he, what, what he defeated? What are the victories that he had? Let's uh, read uh, verses 21 to 26. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. After that, the end will come when he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So Paul kind of gives a really high flyover view of, of history there, describing how death came into the world through one man, Adam, and how life conquers death, and how life is then given to those who believe. And he says in there that there's an order to this, that Jesus was first, and then later those who belong to Jesus will receive new life as well. Then when the end comes, when the kingdom of God has come in, in full, Jesus will hand it over to God the Father because he's defeated all of the enemies, death being the last one. So what are all the enemies? Let me tell you just a few of them. Jesus is victorious over darkness. Victorious over darkness. Listen to John 8, verse 12. Jesus spoke to the people once more and he said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Living in darkness, you know, it impacts us in a lot of different ways. You know, there's, there's fear in the darkness. There's worry in the darkness. There's danger in the darkness. Depression, insecurity, self-loathing, defeat. All of these kinds of things are common when you're walking in darkness. But Jesus says, if you follow after him, you don't have to live in any of that. Not any of it. You may still experience them from time to time, but they won't define you and they won't defeat you. John 1, verses 4 and 5 says of Jesus, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. 
The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The presence of Jesus on this earth brought light. His life is our light. Why? Because Jesus' presence on this earth was a walking, talking, living, breathing testimony that God loves us. God loves us. In all of our mistakes and messes, in all of our losing and our insecurities and our worry and our fear, God loves us just like we are. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. God loves me. God loves you. And that is a light in your life. And when you are following after him and it feels hard and you feel like you're losing, Jesus reminds you he's with you and that he loves you. And you get through. You become victorious over darkness. Fear turns to peace. Worry turns to faith. Insecurity turns to courage. Depression turns to gladness. Darkness loses in your life because Jesus defeated it with his love. Jesus is victorious over darkness. That's a reason to rejoice. Jesus is victorious over temptation. In Luke chapter 4, um, Jesus goes out into the desert and he fasts for 40 days. So he doesn't eat anything for 40 days. And then the devil shows up uh, to, to start this battle. And he tries to tempt him. He tempts him three times. So the, the devil goes on offense. You know, and Jesus, his defense was the word of God. Every single time a temptation came, every time there was an attack, he responded with, it is written. God said. And Jesus didn't fall for the temptations. He stood strong. He stood firm. Now, the reason that's important is from Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. So Jesus was not only the Son of God, as proven by an empty grave, he is also a man. He's just like us in every way except one. He never sinned. And since he faced testing, he did life just like we're doing life, except he never sinned, since he, he knows what we're going through. And since he knows what we're going through, he can help us when we're being in that battle with temptation. And so when that happens, his grace comes to you in many forms. Sometimes it's the grace to stand strong and resist. And sometimes it's the grace to run away. You know, 1 Corinthians 13 says, God will show you uh, an escape route when you're under temptation. And so when the devil comes on offense in your life, and I'm telling you, that is the perfect offense to match your weaknesses, God will then show up with the perfect defense to match his offense, and you will beat temptation. Now, I promise you, you won't have a perfect record. But there will be a turnaround in your season. And you will start winning over temptation. 
Jesus was victorious over sin. To win the battle over sin, like if you woke up today and you were saying, or, well, I don't know, it wouldn't work today. That, that's not going to work. Let me just go back to what I wrote. <laughs> strike, what is it? Strike that. Rewind. <laughs> to win the battle over sin, you had to live your life without ever breaking God's law. Your whole life. And Jesus is the only one to ever do that. He's the only one to ever live the life that God wants us to live perfectly. Now, sin is a common word, and we probably uh, all have some idea of what that means. But here's a definition from the Bible. John, uh, 1 John 3, 4 says, sin is lawlessness. It's breaking God's law. God's told us what to do, and we don't do it or we do something else. And so that is sin, and that's an act of rebellion against God. It came from the first man and woman in the garden, Adam and Eve, back in Genesis. Um, God told them not to eat that fruit. That was the one thing he told them not to do, and they did it. So that's the worst sin ever committed in the history of mankind. And because that, because they sinned, then that sin infected all of mankind. And brought death as a consequence into our lives. So every person that's ever been born has been plagued by this disease called sin. Not being able to live a life that God is pleased with. That is actually an offense to God. Every person's plagued with it. Every person except one. Jesus fought this battle his whole life with sin. You know, some people think, you know, Jesus was Superman because he was God. But he was limited himself. He put himself in a human body. And so he lived our life. He really did, but he did it perfectly. Never one time did Jesus get behind in the score with sin. Never one time did Jesus have to make it come back with sin. Never one time. It never showed up in his life. Not in word, not in deed, not in thought. Think about that. Why? How? Because he had a pure heart. Because he was holy. Because he was righteous. But I don't want you to take my word for it. Listen to these verses. 1 John 3, 5. And you know that Jesus came to take away our sins, and there is no sin in him. And 1 Peter 2, 2, 2. He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. And Hebrews 4, 15. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of them, all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Now, a victory over sin wouldn't be complete if Jesus just defeated it in his own life. To, to beat sin, he had to beat it for everybody, for every sin ever committed in the whole world in the history of mankind. He had to beat it. Now, if you and I were left with this task, trying to beat sin, even just for our own life, we wouldn't stand a chance. It would be very much like an elementary basketball player taking on an NBA all-star on a one, in a one-on-one game. No chance. No chance. Romans 6 calls us a slave to sin. Now we can look at other people and we can say, well, you know, they don't look like a slave to sin. I mean, Pastor Shane doesn't look like a slave to sin. He's a pretty awesome, amazing guy. You know, I mean, plays the guitar and sings. We see people like that in our life, don't we? People that look like they're winning this battle. Nice people, good people. 
But when it comes to this battle with sin, that's the wrong comparison. Because when it comes to sin, it's breaking God's law. And he is holy and he is righteous and he is perfect. He set this standard up in Romans 3.23 says, We have all sinned and fallen short of God's standard. We can't do it. And the reason that's important is from Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. So the only way for Jesus to be victorious over all of sin was for him to shed his perfect pure blood as a substitute for us, for ours. So Jesus, he hung on my cross. Jesus, he took my nails. Jesus, It was his blood that dropped to the ground instead of mine so that I could be forgiven of my sin. Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So Jesus won the victory over sin. Not only for me, but also for all of you. First John 2, 2. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. He's victorious over sin. Now back in 1 Corinthians 15, 26. said the last enemy to be destroyed was death. Jesus is victorious over death. It's not just another battle that he could win uh, just in his own life to defeat death. He had to defeat death for everyone. And to do that, he had to die. Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, Jesus said this, I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. So what looked like this horrible loss to all of his followers was the beginning of a really great, incredible, world-changing victory through Jesus' death and resurrection. And when he did that, when he died and rose from the grave, he took from the devil, another defeated enemy, he took from the devil the only weapon he has to wield against us. He took away death. Hebrews 2.14 says, Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Now battling death, you know, it's another one of those one-on-one battles that we don't stand a, that we don't stand a chance in. No, no chance of winning. In fact, we're losing more now than when we came in here to start the service with death. It doesn't matter how much we work out. It doesn't matter how many vitamins we take or health supplements, you know, the uh, watching doctor. It doesn't matter. We're losing the battle with death on our own. Now, Paul said there's an order to things. First, Jesus rises from the dead, and then we do. So the truth is, for all of us here, One day, we're going to be laid in a grave just like Jesus was. But the question is, will there be a day where you walk out of the grave just like Jesus did? 
Will will there be that day for you? I mean, as we think about this battle of losing death, it's depressing. I mean, it's like, you know, I can't win. But as we come here and we celebrate an empty tomb and we look in there, there should be hope. There should be assurance that your life is going to come back because of what Christ has done. He is victorious over darkness, temptation, sin, and death. And if you understand those things, it helps us know how we can draw near to him for light, for hope, for forgiveness, and strength. And then in this great chapter, um, 1 Corinthians 15, finishes up with some verses that are going to encourage us to share the victory with Christ in verses 50 to 57. What I am saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death, through our Lord Jesus Christ. So when it comes to these battles with darkness and temptation and sin and death, on our own, we're, we're losing. It, it is like we are born disabled, physically disabled, and we cannot take care of ourselves. And if someone doesn't come and help us take care of us, we're eventually going to die because of our disabilities. And the truth is, we have all been born disabled spiritually disabled. And without something being done for us, we've got no way to win these battles that defeat life. Battles that lead to death. An eternal death, separated from God forever in hell. That's the agony of defeat. So as you heard those verses read about getting a transformed body, you know, putting on the brand new you, Did you have a confidence in your heart that that was going to happen to you? That you've got a day coming when you're going to shed this tent and put on something that will last forever that won't wear out and decay? Is there an assurance in your heart about that? Now see, Paul, he broke out in a song of mockery. He's mocking death there. Na-na-na-na-boo-boo, you can't get me. That's what he's saying to death. Death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? How could he say that if he didn't have the confidence to know that in his life, death had died? Verse 57, But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, you can study the victory and you can understand the victory and not share in the victory. Every person has to make a decision that they are spiritually disabled and they need a savior. 
a savior, a champion to lift them up, to conquer these enemies of life. That champion is Jesus. In John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, Jesus is talking to one of his friends named Martha. And he says this, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die, will never ever die. Do you believe this? Answering that question for yourself is how you share in the victories that Jesus won through his life, death, and resurrection. Do you believe this? There's a father-son duo out there in the world somewhere called Team Hoyt. Rick and Dick Hoyt. Now, Rick, the son, he was born disabled, severely disabled. Doctors told his parents, you just need to put him in an institution so somebody can take care of him. He's going to be a vegetable for the rest of his life. That burden will be too great for you to bear. But parents said, no, we want to bring him home. We want to raise him like any other child. Rick couldn't talk. He couldn't walk. Couldn't feed himself. Couldn't bathe himself. But they brought him home. Now, as they were doing life with him, they could see that Rick was smart. Because as they were talking to him, he would lock in with his eyes. And eventually, they, the family received this computer that enabled Rick's thoughts to be able to translate into sound so he could communicate with his parents. And Rick had heard of this charity run that uh, he wanted to be in. And so he asked his dad, hey, could we run in this race? And his dad said, yes. And that was the beginning of running marathons and Ironman triathlons. And they've been inspiring people for years with this picture of what sacrificial love looks like. A real glimpse of how God loves us. So I'm going to show you a a short video of Team Hoyt. And as you watch, think about these Words of Jesus, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Let's watch. That's a beautiful picture of God's love, isn't it? It's, it's, it's just perfect to see how we share in the victories of Christ. Through his strength and his righteousness, that's how we get home. And the question you should ask yourself is, am I sitting in that chair? Am I trusting solely in what Christ has done to get me home? Because that's how you share in the victory. You know, sometimes we look at our disabilities and we think, oh, you know, our sins, I'm not worthy to sit in that chair. And so we refuse to get in it. And sometimes we think, you know, I can, I can do better tomorrow. I can, I can get there on my own. I can do this thing. Both of those things are not true. The only way to share in the victory is to receive God's love through faith in Jesus Christ, believing that what he did on the cross as a sacrifice for sin was for you. And trusting in that and asking him to come into your life to be Lord and Savior. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I'm not lying to you this morning. This is no April Fool's joke. 
you need to get in that chair this morning. I want to lead you in a prayer, a victory prayer. And I, I just encourage you if, you, if you know you need to trust Christ today, pray this prayer from the bottom of your heart and believe that he's going to get you home. And you're going to leave a champion in Christ. Let's stand. Let's just all pray this together. Heavenly Father, thank you for how much you love me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for me. I understand how disabled I am spiritually because of my sins. Today I confess, I believe in Jesus as the Son of God and ask to share in his victories. Forgive me of my sins and come into my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me walk with you each day and live in the light of your love for me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, if you prayed that for the first time, you're leaving a winner today.